One Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. And for more information, please visit us on the web at onechurch.net. Good morning, church. I uh, hope that you are sensing the presence of God in worship. And I love that line in that song, the Lord is in this place. And I'm so glad to tell you today that wherever you're at, the Holy Spirit can be with you, that you can experience the presence of God wherever you're at. That's really what church is. Church is not about a a building uh, or just a program to follow, but about people in the presence of God. And so I hope today you are experiencing the presence of God in worship, that your spirit is lifted, your faith is stirred this morning as we have been worshiping God together. And uh, we're going to get into the Word in just a moment, uh, a moment. but I want to welcome all of you today uh, who are joining us as guests. Uh, maybe a friend has shared this link with you. Uh, maybe you've just stumbled on us online. We are so glad that you are here with us today, and uh, we would love to do everything that we can just to help you to get connected with all that's happening in the life of our church. And so uh, all you have to do is go to our website at ocparkdistrict.com, fill out the connection card there. We will follow up with you just to share with you all that's happening even in this season. And I want to say thank you to all of you just for staying connected. Those of you who are a part of our church family that you consider One Church Park District, your church, I just want to say a big thank you to all of you for your faith and faithfulness in this season, for staying connected uh, in-house church, for joining us online, maybe opening your home uh, for others to join you and serving in the ways that you are, uh, giving financially to support the this ministry in this season. We are so, so grateful for you all. And I know that we have just celebrated Thanksgiving. Maybe you're still shaking off the turkey coma, but I just want to say Thank you to all of you. And I just want to encourage you to stay connected. Again, we have house church gatherings happening around the area. Also, we have a great monthly gathering coming up on December 20th. Uh, We are going to be meeting all together as a church family at the Winter Park Farmers Market. And so I want to encourage you. That's going to happen on Sunday, December 20th. That will be our Christmas celebration. And I want to invite you and encourage you to join us there at 10 a.m., on that Sunday. Well, if you have your Bible, uh, why don't you grab it with me and turn to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, I'll remind you also that we have our Russell Home Outreach currently happening. And I know many of you have already grabbed uh, gift uh, tags for that gift list and are helping to contribute gifts uh, towards that outreach event. For those of you who haven't, we still have uh, some opportunities for you to do that. So all you need to do is uh, either reach out to Melissa Sprung or you can fill out the connection card on our website and we will follow up with you. Well, if you have your Bible, Acts chapter 4 And uh, we are continuing our series through the book of Acts uh, that we are calling The Movement. And we are really asking the question in this season, what is church? You know, in 2020, church is looking different than it ever has before. And I know if you're anything like me, that can be a challenge in some ways. Man, I I love church. I love, uh, you know, the the way that I have known church to be in the past. In fact, pre-COVID, I don't think I had ever missed more than one Sunday in a church gathering in my life. And uh, so I would be willing to put my 
church attendance record up to anybody's. <laughs> but, you know, ultimately it's not about just attending church, but about being the church. And so we are discovering that in this season. Uh, although we are not gathering weekly in the way that we've been used to, church isn't canceled. We're gathering house churches and we are being the church everywhere that we go. And so we're looking at the book of Acts, really rediscovering God's pattern for the church. And so I want to pick up today in Acts chapter 4. And uh, we last week looked at Acts chapter 3, the story of Peter and John going to the temple and, and encountering uh, the, the man begging alms. And I spoke to you about uh, living between the beauty and the broken, the beauty of God's kingdom and God's plan and purpose for humanity that's available to all of us through Jesus, but also living in the brokenness of this world. And I want to pick up today in Acts chapter 4. If you have your Bible, you can look on with me. Uh, if not, we'll put it on the screen for you. But it says this, Acts chapter 4 says this, Now as they spoke to the people, that's Peter and John, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Notice what they were preaching, the resurrection from the dead. Verse 3, And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And uh, I want to encourage you to read all of Acts chapter 4, but I, I want to just kind of springboard out of those first few verses, Acts chapter 4, verse 1 to 4. And I want to speak to you today about overcoming resistance, overcoming resistance. Uh, so far in the book of Acts, we've seen really the church uh, in some different stages. Acts chapter 1, we saw the church in waiting. They were waiting for the promise of the Father, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, we see, uh, I, I would call it the church in its essence, the, the essential church as they were continuing in the essentials of the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and prayer and breaking of bread. In Acts chapter 3, we see the church in action as they are sent out into the street, sent out into the city to minister to people. And here in Acts chapter 4, we see the church in resistance, the church faced, facing resistance. This is really a turning point in church history and the beginning of uh, the ongoing resistance against the church, the ongoing persecution against the church. This was the first moment, although Jesus faced tremendous persecution, ultimately up till his death, but this was the first moment uh, post-resurrection that the church, the followers of Jesus Christ, experienced resistance. As Peter and John had had preached the gospel as they had laid hands on this sick man. And they said, silver and gold have I none, but in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Uh, and he was healed and went into the temple. Uh, the Bible says that uh, the, the Sadducees and the captain of the temple came against them. They began to face resistance. And this, as I said, is really a turning point in church history that has really gone on ever since this moment. You see, the history of the church is a history of overcoming resistance. 
I'd love to tell you that after Acts chapter 2, as the Holy Spirit was poured out, that the church just went, uh, you know, perpetually up and to the right, that the church just continued to advance problem-free and that the gospel just spread around the world without a challenge. But you don't have to read very far before you see the church, the followers of Jesus, beginning to face resistance. And as you know, if you know uh, the history of the early church, that was the ongoing case, especially for the first 300 years of the church. It's continued ever since, but for the first 300 years of the church, there was, there, there was profound resistance against the Jesus movement. There was profound opposition. There was profound persecution. You know, we often talk about resistance today. And for many of us, uh, it is more about convenience than it really is a, a matter of life or death. These people, these, uh, the apostles here were thrown into prison. Most of us will ha have certainly uh, never experienced being thrown into prison over our faith and over the gospel. Uh, but around the world today, there's many people in many countries that when they preach the gospel, when they stand up for the name of Jesus, there is intense opposition. For us, I'm not saying that we don't face opposition, but it's more of cultural opposition. It's more of a, an issue of convenience and perhaps whether or not we are liked and accepted by people. But the history of the church has been a history of overcoming resistance. In fact, in the first 300 years, we see that uh, Christians were, were uh, resisted and persecuted in horrific ways. They were, as we see in this passage, Peter and John imprisoned. Uh, history tells us that it wasn't uncommon uh, for Christians to be uh, put to death. In fact, Nero, one of the Caesars, was known for lighting Christians on fire, followers of Jesus. He would uh, light them on fire, tie them to a stake and, and, and cover them in wax and light them on fire to light his parties. This is what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. History also tells us uh, of those who, because of their faith in Jesus, because of their commitment to following Christ, they faced such uh, resistance that they were uh, thrown to wild animals, but first sown uh, in the, the skin of another dead animal. They were sown into this jacket of an animal carcass to whet the appetite of the wild beast and then thrown into uh, those wild beasts that would ultimately uh, take their life. And this is the history of the church. The history of the church is a history of resistance. And here we see in the very first moments of the church, the church facing resistance. And, and I want you to understand this, that the reason the church faces resistance is this, because where there is movement, there is resistance. Where there is movement, there is resistance. That's true in nature. It's, it's true in physics and it's true in our spiritual life that when we follow Jesus, we will face resistance. In fact, the Bible tells us again and again, Jesus tells us uh, in John chapter 16, verse 33, I, these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace because in the world you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. To be a follower of Jesus means to face resistance. 
But I love here that even as the church is facing resistance, the Bible tells us that the word of God continued to advance. The word of God continued to spread. In fact, the way the church grows stronger is through overcoming resistance. This is the way that God causes the church to advance. And so not only is the history of the church a history of overcoming resistance, but the history of the church is a history of continuing to grow stronger. In fact, Tertullian, one of the early church authors and and recorders of church history, says this, that as often as we are mown down by you, The more we grow in numbers, listen to this, the blood of the Christians is the seed of the church. In other words, he's saying that the the more Christians are killed, the more blood that is spilled from people who have put their faith in Jesus and have declared that Jesus, not Caesar, is the Lord of their life. The more blood that is spilled, the more the cause of Christ continues to advance. Uh, Richard Wombrand, a a follower of Jesus, a pastor in Romania under the Soviet Union and under communist control says this, that disciples are like nails. The harder you beat them, the deeper they go. What a powerful statement that followers of Jesus Christ, true followers of Jesus, when we face opposition, It's actually God's method for growing us stronger. And and here's the good news for us is that as followers of Jesus, many of us in 2020 are perhaps facing one of the hardest years of our lives. You you may have entered 2020 thinking, man, this is the year of vision. This is the year uh, of progress. But as all of us, before long, we begin to face opposition. Uh, face personal opposition. Maybe you face financial opposition. Maybe you feel opposition in your marriage, in your relationship, in your family. There's all kinds of opposition, let alone in our spiritual life as we as a church are learning how to navigate a new reality in this season. We are facing opposition. But the, the truth is that God uses opposition to grow us stronger. It's true in everything. It's true physically. The way we grow stronger physically is through overcoming opposition. opposition. And so I believe that in this season, God is causing us uh, to grow stronger as a church. I, I believe that if we are going to experience everything that God has for us, that we have to be stronger than the opposition that we face. I love a story from history of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor under Nazi Germany. And he, uh, as the Nazi party came to power, he began to challenge Nazism. The, the, the Nazi party sought to erase every uh, root of uh, Jewish influence in Christianity. And they were destroying the Old Testament. They were trying to Arianize, so to speak, uh, the Bible and Jesus. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer stood up and, and declared that Jesus was Lord, not the Fuhrer, but Jesus was Lord. And he led a, a movement that became known as the Confessing Church. That was the church that did not uh, give into the demands of Nazism, that did not relinquish 
the gospel to the demands of Nazism. And he uh, ultimately went on to start a, uh, an underground seminary in, a, in the mountains of Germany in a place called Finkenwald. And he was forbidden from preaching and leading a church publicly. And so he led this seminary that met in the mountains of Germany. And it was a small group of, uh, of Christians and young disciples and pastors in training, uh, no more than 50 or 60 at a time. But he was known for discipling them in such a radical way that many people thought, uh, well, Dietrich, you're, you're too extreme. He would have them wake up early in the morning and go out to pray. They would study the Bible and memorize large passages of Scripture. They would write around theology and they were committed to living this life of radical community together, or as I like to say, the Jesus life together. And many of Dietrich's friends said, you're too radical. Why are you so extreme? Why are you so radical? Can't we just kind of be nice church people? Can't we just, you know, be the status quo? And one day as a friend of Dietrich's came to the seminary in the mountains to visit Dietrich and really in, in hopes of um, influencing him to kind of water down his approach. He, uh, he visited Dietrich Bonhoeffer at the seminary and, and Dietrich took him in a boat and they crossed a river and they went up onto a, a nearby hill. And from that hill, Dietrich showed his friend the nearby Nazi training camp. He showed him the landing field where the pilots were training coming in. He showed him the, the, the field where the SS soldiers in training were being trained in the art of war. And as he looked over to the Nazi training camp, he told his friend, the reason I'm so radical, the reason I'm so passionate about the gospel, the reason I'm so strong in my discipleship is because this has to be stronger than that. He, he was saying that the discipleship and the apprenticeship to Jesus Christ has to be stronger than the discipleship to the Fuhrer and to the, the uh, belief in Nazism. You see, the fact is every person is being discipled by someone and the person you follow will determine the life you lead. The question is, whose follower are you? And for those who have become followers of Jesus, Jesus tells us we're going to face opposition. We're going to face challenges. Don't think it's weird when you have challenges that you face. But the reason that we have to be strong in our commitment to Christ is because this has to be stronger than that. And I want to tell you one church in 2020 that our commitment to Christ has to be stronger than the opposition that we face. The, the commitment we have to love each other in spite of our differences has to be stronger than the division of the world. Our commitment to joy, regardless of our circumstances, has to be stronger than the fear in the world. This has to be stronger than that. And, and as we are facing opposition, we can either relinquish uh, our convictions and just Go with the flow of the culture. We can try to rebel against it in our own strength, but I believe that ultimately Jesus is calling us to be resilient disciples, people that are committed to the cause of Christ that stand in the face 
of opposition. And so perhaps 2020, although it may be the hardest year we've ever had, perhaps it can become the best year that we've ever had because it's the year that we grow the strongest because our faith is being opposed in so many ways. And so I want to give you out of this passage of scripture a few things, five things really, that the early followers of Jesus did to overcome opposition. We don't want to give in to opposition. Uh, we, don't want it, we don't want to look back years from now and say, man, that was the year that my faith fell apart. But we want to look back and say, wow, that was the year that, that, that even as uh, all hell seemed to be breaking loose, all heaven broke out in my situation. And so out of this passage, I want to give you five things that I believe we need to do in 2020 as followers of Jesus to overcome the opposition that we're facing. The first thing that we need to do is we need to recognize the source. Recognize the source. What, I, what do I mean? What is the source of our opposition? Who, who is opposing us? What is opposing us? And you know, sometimes it can feel that we're in opposition against one another. Sometimes it can feel like we're in opposition against uh, our friends, our family, our neighbors, perhaps even people in, in the church. But I, I want you to know that that's not the source of our opposition. In fact, here we see that in verse 1, Acts chapter 4, verse 1, it says that it was the Sadducees that came upon them. The Sadducees came upon them. If you know the story of Jesus from the Gospels, you know that he was primarily opposed by the Pharisees. They were the, the religious conservatives. But now we will see throughout the book of Acts that it's primarily the Sadducees who opposed the early church. The Sadducees were not the conservative arm of uh, the, the Jewish religious group. They were actually the liberals. They were the ones that said, we don't take the scripture literally. We don't, um, we, we don't believe in the supernatural. We don't believe in the resurrection, which is at the core of the gospel. And so it was the Sadducees that were upset because they don't believe in the miraculous. They don't believe in the resurrection from the dead. And here, Peter and John have preached the gospel, laid hands on a, a sick man, and he's become healed. And so they, uh, their, their message is being challenged. The, the message that there is no resurrection is being challenged. They, they believe that death was the end, that that's all there was. That's why they're called sad, you sees. I know it's a corny preacher joke, but it'll help you to remember it. But I, here's what I want you to understand is that when you come alive, you will disturb some dead things around you. When you come alive to God's purpose, when you come alive to God's plan, when you come alive to the gifts that God has placed within you, you will disturb the Sadducees, the dead things or the things around you that want to hold you down. And, and again, I want you to understand that's not people. The Bible says this, that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood in the book of Ephesians. Uh, we, don't, we don't fight against people. People are not your enemy. They're, but it's powers that are at work. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, the Bible gives us three things that really uh, encapsulate the resistance that seeks to come against every single one of us as followers of Jesus. A threefold uh, axis of evil, so to speak, Paul talks about it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2 and 3. He says this, you were dead in your trespasses. You used to be dead 
in, in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. That is the first uh, enemy that will seek to resist God's plan and purpose, the world, the ways of the world. I don't mean just, uh, I don't mean the geography. I mean the mindsets that are pervasive in our culture. He says the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's the devil. Notice he says that it is a spirit. There is a person, a spirit that is resisting you and that you have to overcome. And he goes on to say this, uh, among whom, verse three, we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. That's the third uh, of this resistance that each one of us will have to overcome. The source of our resistance is not people, it's powers that will come against us. The power of the world, the power of our flesh, and the power of the devil. The world, our flesh, and the devil. Every single one of us will have to come against these powers. And, and as soon as you rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit. There will be resistance that will pull against you. There are things in the world, the ways of the world that will say, uh, you can't stand for that. Why would you ever think that way? Why would you believe that the word of God is true? Our own flesh that would resist us, that, that would say, uh, take the easy route, go the path of least resistance. Our own flesh fights against God's purpose for our lives. And not only the world and the flesh, but the devil. There is a spiritual war that is being waged all around us. And so we need to recognize that the opposition that we are facing isn't other people. And I want to encourage you, perhaps even in this moment, you have allowed some sort of relational schism to rob you of the peace that God wants to give you. And every single one of us can face those moments. And I think in 2020, uh, you know, relational challenges have been turned up. The volume has been turned up. But I want to remind you that we need to recognize the source. It wasn't just a natural battle. It was a spiritual battle. And we are facing a spiritual battle in 2020. There are powers at work. It's not people its power. So we need to, number one, recognize the source. The second thing that I want you to see is that we need to not only recognize the source of our opposition, but we need to, number two, remember the gospel. Remember the gospel. Look at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 10. Peter, as he's responding to the religious leaders, he says, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel, listen to this, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, this man stands here before you whole. I want you to notice that, Paul, uh, that Peter, as he's facing this opposition, he, he's not talking about his own preference. He's not talking about his own personal position, he's talking about the person of Jesus. He's talking about the gospel. And as soon as he gets the opportunity to open his mouth, he's going straight for the gospel. He's going straight for the fact that it is Jesus who has brought this miracle. And, and I want to encourage you today that we need to remember the gospel. 
We need to remember the gospel that centers on the work of Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. The gospel isn't that, that, that life is good and if you are good, then life will be good. The gospel is this, that we live in a broken world, a fallen world. But Jesus came and died so that we don't have to die and was raised from the dead so that we could, although we will die physically, that we can live eternally with God. The life that God has always intended for us. And I want to encourage you, even when you face opposition, to remember the gospel, to, to remember Jesus. And I would also say it this way, let it be the name of Jesus that pours out of your mouth. When you face opposition, let it be the name of Jesus. Notice, notice that Peter didn't say, do you know who I am? Uh, who do you think you are? Don't you know that I'm an apostle? Don't you know that, that, that I'm a follower of Jesus? Uh, do you have any idea who you're talking to? That's not what Peter says. Peter goes straight for the name of Jesus. And here's the question that I want to ask you. When you face opposition, what hill are you willing to die on? When you face opposition, what, what is the hill that you are willing to die on? Will it be the hill of your preference? Will it be the hill of your comfort? Or will it be the hill of of the gospel, the hill of the name of Jesus. I want to encourage you when you face opposition, let it be the name of Jesus that comes out of your mouth. I want to encourage you, even with social media, if you're a follower of Jesus, let it be the, the name of Jesus that you're ultimately championing, that you're ultimately promoting. Don't let it be just your political perspective. Don't let it be your own brand or your own agenda, but let it be the name of Jesus. He remembered the gospel. The third thing I want you to see when we face opposition, not only do we recognize the source and remember the gospel that our Lord who came before us has died and risen again. And as Paul says, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. That's the good news but not only do we remember the gospel, the third thing I want you to see the early church did is that they resisted in prayer. And if we want to overcome opposition, we have to learn to resist in prayer. If you continue to read Acts chapter 4, you'll see that as Peter and John are preaching the gospel and, and uh, giving their defense, in fact, they, they say this, as they're forbidden to preach the name of Jesus. They say, whether it's right for us to listen to God or to man, you decide, but we can't help but speak the things that we have seen and heard. That was, in fact, the verse that God used to birth our church. I had had it in my heart. God had put it in my heart when I was 19 years old to plant a church and pastor a church. And about eight years ago, I was reading this passage of scripture and I read that verse where they said, we can't help but speak what we've seen and heard. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just exploded in my spirit. I felt like, although this may be a weird analogy, the best thing that I can use is almost like a woman whose water has broken, a pregnant woman whose water has broken. And once her water has broken, Although she's been pregnant for nine months, what are, once her water breaks, she can't help it. She's going to give birth. And that was their response. That's what God spoke to me. I can't help but give birth to what God has put within me. And that was their response. We can't help it. 
We can't help but speak the things we've seen and heard. Notice they weren't dying on the hill of their own opinion. But immediately when they are released, the first thing they did, the Bible says in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, they went to their friends. They, they gathered with the church. And the Bible says this in Acts chapter 4, verse 24, that when they heard that, when their friends heard what had happened, they raised their voice to God with one accord. They raised their voice to God with one accord. We need to, if we want to overcome opposition, we have to learn to resist opposition in prayer. Notice that when they heard that their friends had been arrested, they didn't say, okay, uh, we, we've got to plan a protest. Notice they didn't say, we're going to tweet about it. We're going to post about it. We are going to spread the word that Peter and John were treated badly. Notice they didn't say, we've got to start stockpiling weapons, get all the swords we can because it's about to be on. That's not what they said. The first thing that they did is the Bible says they raised their voices to God. They, they appealed to God. And oftentimes, even for us as followers of Jesus, we can diminish the power of prayer. And, and our first response is responding the same way as the world around us. But I want you to see that they engaged in what I would call warfare prayer. Warfare prayer. Notice how they prayed. The Bible says they raised their voice to God. You know, there are some prayers that are, the, the Bible says that we're to pray with all kinds of prayer. And, and sometimes it's appropriate to pray a quiet prayer, a calm prayer. But there's other moments when you need to pray a warfare prayer. You know, there's moments where perhaps if, if you need to go to sleep, you just want to pray a nice quiet prayer. But there's other moments when you're facing opposition. And I don't know if you've ever heard somebody pray that kind of warfare prayer. Uh, I, I, you know, there's some people that if I needed to go to sleep, I'd ask them to pray for me because it's just so calming and soothing. And I'm glad for that. But there's other people that understand how to pray a warfare prayer, how to pray and lift up their voice, how to, how to call on God in the face of opposition. And that's what they did. They lifted up their voice. You see, they prayed warfare prayer because warfare prayer recognizes that I don't have to fight for myself, that God will fight for me. And perhaps even when I feel that I don't have the natural power to do what I need done, I have the opportunity to appeal to the high court of heaven. I have the right to appeal to the eternal uh, commander-in-chief of all of the universe who has the power to send his angel armies to fight on my behalf. And that was their response. They resisted in prayer. And I want to encourage you that even as you face opposition, perhaps in your marriage, perhaps uh, relationally, perhaps just the cultural resistance that we all face, before we go protesting in some way, we need to protest to heaven. We need to call on God. God is the one that has the power to work on our behalf. They lifted up their voice to God. You see, you can tell a lot about somebody's theology and what they believe by how they pray. If they just pray quiet, calm. Now, I know everybody prays according to our personalities, 
but maybe some of you are quiet and calm. That's okay. You can pray a quiet and calm prayer, but let me ask you this. If somebody messes with one of your kids, you're no longer going to be quiet and calm. And we need to understand how to, as the Bible says, uh, pray as the kingdom of God suffers violence and the violent take it by force. We're not fighting against the world. We're not fighting against one another. We are raising our voice to heaven, resisting in prayer. I want to encourage you in 2020, let's pray those kinds of prayers. Let's resist against the enemy and against his plans in prayer. So they recognized the source. They remembered the gospel. They resisted in prayer. The fourth thing that I want you to see is that they rested in God's sovereignty. Look at what the Bible says as they pray. Acts 4, 24, it starts this way. Their prayer begins with this. Sovereign Lord, sovereign Lord who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that's in them. In other words, God who is in charge of everything. Sovereign Lord who is over everything. They go on to say this, that they they say in verse 27, truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Notice that they are recalling the opposition that came against Jesus. They are recalling the opposition of Herod and Pontius Pilate who put Jesus to death. But they are recognizing that it was was Herod and Pontius Pilate, but it was actually God's sovereign will that was at work. This is what we call the doctrine of sovereignty. The doctrine of sovereignty is simply this, that God is in charge of everything. And I want to remind you in 2020, regardless of how you feel about the election, regardless of how you feel about the moment that we find ourselves in, God is still in charge of everything. God is on the throne over everything and he uses even the mistakes and the opposition of people to accomplish his purpose. You see, sometimes we are afraid of the doctrine of sovereignty because we think that it overrides human free will. Uh, But, you know, that begs the question, is God sovereign or is man responsible? The answer is yes. And we need to remember when we face opposition, God's not freaking out. God is still in control. And, and as they pray, they say it was, it was Pontius Pilate and, and Herod that gathered together. They were, they were planning the crucifixion, but it was according to your purpose. The gospel reminds us that even man's opposition is a part of God's sovereign plan for mankind. God's in control of our lives. Jen and I were just reflecting this week about how we Uh, first met and the circumstances behind how we met and ultimately got married. And we were remembering that we got married because she had gone to a discipleship program in Illinois and I came to a, I was in a discipleship program in Virginia and it was through that connection that we met. But she actually went to uh, that program in Illinois from Minnesota because her mom was at this women's conference And there was this speaker named Jeannie Mayo who was promoting this discipleship school. And and her mom brought home this little piece of orange paper 
just with black type and clip art. Anybody remember clip art before there was graphic designers? There was clip art. And her mom brought home one of the, this little flyer for the discipleship school and Jen saw it and she knew that's what she was supposed to do. She went to Illinois. From that, I'll spare you all of the details of how God wove our story together, but that was really a part of the circumstances of us meeting each other. Now we look and we say, uh, God caused us to come together. God gave us to one another as husband and wife, but God used that little piece of paper. And, and don't you think that if God can use a, an orange piece of paper with some clip art, don't you think God can use the moment that we are in? I, I have to tell you today, God is not freaking out in heaven. God is not sitting, Jesus is not on the throne going, I said I was going to build my church and this COVID thing is really messing that all up. He's not sitting in heaven going, I've got to come up with a plan B. He's saying, I'm going to use everything for my good. This, this may be the year that the church faces opposition like never before, but I'm going to make it stronger through it. And we need to learn to rest in God's sovereignty as we pray and we remind ourselves that God is in control. You see, the recognition of God's sovereignty doesn't mean that our prayers don't matter. It actually means that our prayers do matter. Uh, we, we pray because God is in control and more than a president and more than natural government, he is on the throne. And so we need to rest in God's sovereignty. And the last thing as I prepare to close, I'm going too long, but the last thing as I prepare to close is this, that, that we need to receive God's power. We need to recognize the source. We need to remember the gospel we, we need to resist in prayer. We need to rest in God's sovereignty. And the last thing I want you to see is we need to receive God's power. Notice what the scripture says in Acts 4.31, that when they were gathered together, when they lifted up their voices, when they remembered the sovereignty of God and, and claimed God's promises and God's power in prayer, the Bible says that when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Notice that God's answer to their problem wasn't just to get them out of it. It was to give them the boldness and the power to get through it. The way that God answered their prayer was to opposition was, uh, was giving them boldness, was giving them boldness, giving the, them the power through the Holy Spirit. And these are the same people that had been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Now they're being refilled. It was the, the first revival, so to speak. And that just shows every one of us that we need not to just be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We need to be revived. We need the continual refilling of the Holy Spirit. And, and I pray that even today as we're gathered together in this way, we're facing opposition, I pray that this will be the moment that we learn to call on God like never before and that we experience His power like never before. The greatest need I believe that we have is not a political answer. I believe it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. As we were singing earlier today, I'm, I'm not enough unless you come. Come Holy Spirit. That's our prayer today, wherever you're at, that you will be 
strengthened with the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, giving you boldness to face the opposition that we have in this moment. I want to ask you if you would just to bow your heads wherever you're at. I want to pray for you today. I know perhaps some of you are feeling overwhelmed. Perhaps you've faced opposition, not just the cultural opposition that we've all faced, but perhaps you've faced personal challenges this year that maybe it's been the hardest year that you've ever gone through. But I, I want to encourage you that God is strengthening you, that God is with you. And so we just pray right now, Lord, that you would come, that you would strengthen us. Father, we pray that you would fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray, come Holy Spirit. God, even as we are already singing, Lord, we admit we're not enough. We can't do it in our own strength. But Father, thank you that as we go through these challenges, Lord, it's an opportunity for your strength to be made perfect. So Lord, I pray for every person who's facing opposition. Lord, I pray for marriages today. I pray for families today. God, I pray that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. Father, I pray for those that feel that they want to throw in the towel. God, I pray that there would be a strengthening of faith through the Holy Spirit today, I ask. In Jesus' name, the name above every other name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. And uh, we would love to pray for you. If you're watching this, you're facing opposition, maybe you're just watching online, we'd love to pray for you. You can just fill out that connection card on our website. Or if you're in a house church, I want to encourage you, take some time to pray for one another. Ask one another, what, what are you going through right now? Is it the world? Is it the flesh? Is it the devil? And pray for one another. And let's believe that even as we move through this opposition, that God's going to use it to strengthen us like never before. So thank you guys so much for joining us today. God bless you. We look forward to talking to you soon.